right, good afternoon, everyone. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. If you're new to New Life Fellowship, uh, welcome. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here on this Labor Day weekend. Here we are. Um, at the end of our service, I met so many new people at the end of the first and second service that are new to our church. So I'll be downstairs in our lobby. And so if I've never met you before, please stop by and say hello. Before we get into our message today, um, I've been mentioning, next week I'm going to share a little bit more about what it means to be part of our community in terms of connecting and growing and serving. Um, but we're kicking off the, this new year. The September is basically the start of our ministry calendar year. And there's some, um, some needs we have in our uh, kids' ministry area. I'll hear, you'll hear more about it next week. But we, have, we get over 225 kids that come to our church every Sunday. And the model of ministry that we've chosen is one of close proximity, that we want every kid in a small group. We want every kid knowing others and, and with an additional mentor in their life. And in our 9 o'clock service, because of the numbers of children that are coming, um, we need four small group leaders, mentors, to really play a significant part. And so our church gives some context here. We're about 1,500 people, uh, part of our church. And so when I say four, um, and if you're saying, oh, God, he must be talking to the person next to him, that's probably God talking to you, all right? And so um, the connection card is there. You can fill it out. This is not just to sign your life away. This is just for more information and to learn more about what it means to play a significant part of our, in our church serving-wise, and I'll talk about that next week. But um, if you're interested in learning more information about being a small group leader at New Life for kids ministry, uh, fill that out, or you can see me or one of our pastors downstairs. Now, we are going to look today, I'm going to talk about the drama of the Lord's table, and we're going to take communion together. The first Sunday of every month, we, we, we take communion as our, in our church here. But what I'm going to offer today is it's a meaty passage. It's a lot to digest. And, um, but I believe God's going to speak to us. So before we get into our passage, I want to let's take a minute of silence. We are typically bombarded in our world with noise in the city that never sleeps. And so when we come to church, often uh, we can just be complicit in the decentering power of our world. So we come to church looking for an oasis of silence from time to time, uh, and we don't get it. But the church is to be a place where we create desert moments, moments of silence and stillness to breathe deeply in. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, we are silent before the word because God should have the first word. We are silent after the word because God should have the last word. And so I want to just practice here and just uh, let us center our hearts before we hear this passage today. So just take a deep breath in right where you're at right now. Maybe you didn't take a deep breath all day. Take a deep breath in. Let's take one minute of just stillness in the presence of Jesus before we hear this message today. Let's, let's pause.
Jesus, we recognize that you are here in this room through the power of your spirit, that you are the one who is near us. And so, Lord, as we open up scripture today, give us eyes to see. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive every good gift you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. There was a story this week in the news that really warmed the heart of many people, including mine. It was a college football player from Florida State University who visited a middle school. And in the cafeteria during lunchtime, this football player made a simple gesture that reached the heart of millions as this photo went viral. This football player simply sat and shared a meal with an 11-year-old boy who had autism. Uh, This photo that's been seen by so many people um, is powerful, but when you hear the words of this mother of this 11-year-old boy, you get even more deeply moved. And so this mother hears about this football player sitting next to her son She's moved by it, and she goes on Facebook to just share a little bit about her thoughts. And this is what she says on Facebook. She says, I remember middle school being very scary and hard. Now that I have a child starting middle school, I have feelings of anxiety for him. And they can be overwhelming if I let them. Sometimes I'm grateful for his autism. That may may sound like a terrible thing to say, but in some ways I think, I hope it shields him. He doesn't seem to notice when people stare at him when he flaps his hands. He doesn't seem to notice that he doesn't get invited to birthday parties anymore. And he doesn't seem to mind if he eats lunch alone. It's one of my daily questions for him. Was there a time today you felt sad? Who did you eat lunch with today? Sometimes the answer is a classmate, but most days it's nobody. Those are the days I feel sad for him but he doesn't seem to mind. He's a super sweet child who always has a smile and hug for everyone he meets. A friend of mine sent this beautiful picture to me today, and when I saw it with the caption, Travis Rudolph is eating with your son, I replied, who is that? He said, FSU football player, and then I had tears streaming down my face. Travis Rudolph, a wide receiver at Florida State and several other FSU players, visited my son's school today. I'm not sure what exactly made this incredibly kind man share a lunch table with my son, but I'm happy to say it will not be soon forgotten. This is one day I didn't have to worry if my sweet boy ate lunch alone because he sat across from someone who was a hero in many eyes. Travis Rudolph, thank you so much. You have made this mama exceedingly happy and have made us fans for life. There's something about sharing a meal with someone that impacts relationships like nothing else. This is why Jesus was loved and hated by so many people. Because one of Jesus' strategies for the redemption of humanity and his strategies for connection with people was simple table fellowship. That Jesus moved towards people who the religious community 
avoid it. And this got Jesus in trouble. And so when you examine the ministry of Jesus and how the kingdom of God came through Jesus, you begin to see that there were two primary things that work among many other things. When you look at Jesus, you see that the two things that come to mind is that the kingdom of God came through Jesus through supernatural miracles and through simple meals. Supernatural miracles and through simple meals. And these are the two things that should reflect our lives, that we are longing for the power of God, but we're also longing for the simplicity of God. We're longing for the dynamic power of God, and we're longing for the small, subversive ways of table fellowship. And so Jesus would heal someone, and then he would share a meal with them. And this table, as we're going to see today, is to impact our tables. I'll say it this way. The Lord's table is to transform our lives, and it is to transform our tables. The Lord, the meal that we have here is to transform our lives, and this meal is to transform our meals as well. And so Jesus, as he's about to go to the cross, decides to have a meal with his disciples. And as he has this meal with his disciples, he begins to offer powerful words that characterize our lives, characterize our spirituality, characterize the way that we connect to others. In Mark 14, this is what we see here, the word of the Lord. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Uh, Jesus shares a meal with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And throughout the ministry of Jesus, he reveals a God who wants to be close to humanity. He reveals a God who wants to be so close to us that he wants to eat with us. He wants to share a meal with us. He wants to be close to us. And so Jesus has this meal, and interestingly enough, he has it on the same weekend of Passover. And Passover for the people of God, for the Jewish people, was a meal that they experienced and they had before they experienced God's freedom and liberation from Egypt and the power of Egypt. Jesus is doing something significant where he's saying that this is going to be the meal that, that showcases, that, that, that is a, a foretaste of the liberation that you're going to experience through my death and resurrection. That in the Old Testament, they were free from Pharaoh. In the New Testament, you're going to be free from something deeper than Pharaoh. You're going to be free from the very sin that shackles you, from the very personal and systemic sins that shackle our world. And so Jesus comes to the table, and he grabs bread, and he grabs a cup. and, And I believe that as he grabs the bread, this becomes a profound metaphor of what he does for our lives. And what I want you to see today is that your life is bread in the hands of Jesus. And what Jesus does to the bread here is very significant because this is the exact words that he does to our lives. And these four words that I'm going to share with you are so simple, so profound, and they have shaped the way I follow Jesus in the world. And they are to shape the way that we live as a community today and the way we live in the world. Four simple words in this passage. The first word is the word taken. Jesus takes the bread. And this here is one of the more important truths for the spiritual life. And it communicates the truth that you in this room, you're taken. 
You're chosen. Now, humanity has a longing to be taken, a longing to be chosen, a longing to be embraced. Children this week are going to experience profound anxiety as they go to the playgrounds wondering, will someone take me? Will someone play with me? Will someone choose me? So much of the anxiety and the pain that children have on the playgrounds is they don't want to play with me. They don't want to take me. They don't want to choose me. But this anxiety is not something that lasts through elementary school. We live our entire lives wondering and hoping and wishing, will I be received? Will I be taken? Will I be chosen? Will I be received into this college? You sent out resumes all over the place. Will this job take me? Will I be chosen there? You, we, you're single and you long for companionship and romantic relationship. You wonder, will this person take me? You're married and you ask the question to your spouse that you are married to, does this person desire me? Does this person want me? And perhaps the fundamental question that we ask ourselves over and over again is, does God take me? Does God want me? Does God Choose me. And in this simple act of Jesus taking bread, he communicates the truth that God takes you, God chooses you, God loves you. And the beautiful thing about it is the bread did nothing to deserve it. This wasn't no fancy bread. This is not any bread that's performing. Bread is just bread. And Jesus chooses this bread simply because of love. Now, the world takes you because of your looks, but you're going to get old. The world takes you because of your wealth. The world takes you because of your GPA. The world takes you because of your connections. The world takes you because of where you graduated from, but God takes you on the basis of his love. From all eternity before you were born, you were in the bosom of God, and God chooses you. He takes you on the basis of love. I remember being 12 and 13 years old. My father would take me to uh, basketball courts to play with him, and there'd be older guys there, and, and guys that were much taller than me, much stronger than me, much faster than me, much better than me. And it would not fail that every time my father would be a captain of a team to choose up sides, without fail, when he got the first pick, he would say, I got my son. And I say, no, Dad, that's wrong. That's a bad decision. This guy's taller. He's better. He's faster. He got a better shot. Pick me after him. No, no, I got my son. And I realized he didn't choose me because I was better than them. He didn't choose because I was taller. He didn't choose me because I was faster. He chose me on the basis of love or pity. <laughs> Pitiful love. But we are reminded this Sunday that when God chooses you, he chooses you not because you deserve it. He chooses you on the basis of his own love. He chooses you when you don't pray. He chooses you when you don't read scripture. He chooses you when you have a bad attitude. He chooses you on the basis of his love. This is unconditional grace. Jesus takes the bread. But he doesn't stop there. The second word I want us to consider is not only does Jesus choose you in this room when no one else chooses you, he takes you, but Jesus, in addition to taking, Jesus blesses. He blesses. And so it says here that he offers 
thanks. And the word thanks there is translated in the Greek language that he offers a blessing. And this is powerful because Jesus blesses us in the way he blesses bread. Now, to get the full effect of this passage, we must, in this room, redefine what it means to be blessed. Because our definition of blessing tends to be quite narrow. Our politicians get up and they say, God bless America. And when they say that, we, they typically associate that with economic prosperity and peace and security. Or that means that we are to be uh, better than the world, that we are to make America great again, that we are to be blessed. Or as Chris Rock said it in his movie, God bless America and nobody else. You know, that's... That's how we tend to think about blessed. And then we have our own personal ways of understanding blessing. And typically we think I'm blessed when life goes right. I'm blessed when I get a raise. I'm blessed when I don't get sick. I'm blessed when I get a parking spot before church. I am blessed and you are blessed if you get a parking spot before church. But to be blessed is bigger than getting a parking spot. To be blessed is bigger than economic security. The Latin word to bless really is to speak well of, to say good things to someone. And we all need deep affirmation, but this affirmation and blessing is, is, is more than just saying a couple of good compliments to someone. To bless someone essentially is to acknowledge their existence, that it is good that you are here. That's what it means to bless someone, to acknowledge your existence and to note it is good that you are here. And we long to be taken, and fundamentally, we long to be blessed as well. And blessing is important for us. We need to hear words that it is good that we are here, that it is good that we exist. Entire cultures are predicated around the notion of blessing. You can't move forward in certain cultures with certain decisions unless the parents or someone blesses you. This is why when I was dating Rosie and just dating her, and I said, hey, let's make this exclusive. We've been seeing each other. I took you to movies. Let's just make this exclusive. And she said, no, you got to get my parents' blessing first. I said, I don't have a ring for you. What's the need? No blessing. No, no, even to date, you need to get their blessing. I said, this is terrible. And so I, I, got, I, went, I went to the house there. <laughs> I did an interview and everything. Dressed up, smiled the whole time. My face was killing me by the end of the time. Smiled the whole time. And then her parents said, so you want to date my daughter? I said, yeah, 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 definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they were able to speak, you know, you know good words. Uh, we blessed this. And then I got engaged. I, I said, if, I, if, if they want me to go to date, I better go to get engaged. Yeah, so I went as well. Hey, do you, can I receive your blessing? She said, the only way you can walk in is if my parents speak well of you. And if they don't speak well of you, you can't come back. You know, it's like one of those things there. And so, but, but the reality is we long for blessing. We long to hear that we are spoken well of. And you notice with Jesus that even Jesus needed to be blessed. The Son of God needed to be blessed to live the kind of life that God had for him. Because when you look at Jesus, when he gets baptized and he, out of, he comes out of the waters, the heavens open up and he gets a word of blessing. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
Jesus is blessed. He's affirmed. It is good that you are here. And right after he gets blessed, he goes into the wilderness. And the nature of the temptation is to deny everything that he's just received. If you are the son of God, do this. But Jesus embraced God's blessing to to such a deep degree that he could not allow the curses of the evil one to find residence inside of him. And when you know you've been blessed by God, there's no curse that the evil one can speak over you. And so Jesus needs to receive blessing. He needed to receive blessing, and we need to receive blessing as well. That God claims you as his own, that he speaks good words over you. And we need to claim this reality even in the face of life not going the way we want it to. Because the reality is many of us, we don't feel blessed. We feel cursed. And we have this thing in our, in our heads that if life doesn't go a certain way, it's because, I'm, first of all, I'm doing something wrong. Or second, because God hates me. I don't get the job. I must have done something wrong. Someone broke my heart. It must have been me. Or we, or we believe that God has it out for us. And so we need to find space to hear God speaking over you. You are my son. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. But instead, we tend to live our lives embracing curses. Not only that, our world trains us to curse. Our world doesn't train us to bless. Our world trains us to curse. And I'm not just talking about foul language. I've seen you guys on Queens Boulevard. I'm not just talking about foul language. I'm talking about a way of cursing, diminishing, condescending, othering someone. Our world trains us how to curse. Think of the harsh words you've thought and said against Donald Trump this week. <laughs> We're not going to, don't share them. Uh, think of the thoughts and words you've said about Hillary Clinton this week. Think about the harsh words and thoughts you've said and thought about those who support Trump, those who support Hillary Clinton. Jesus offers us a different way. That the church is to be a place where although we are to speak out against what is wrong and unjust, we do it in a way where we don't become like that which is wrong and unjust. We're able to live in both worlds where we can say that's wrong, but we don't take on the persona of that which we are speaking against. What does it look like to at the same time speak out against injustice and at the same time bless? This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus takes the bread and he blesses the bread. And Jesus has been blessing you all week. That's a fact. The reason, it, the reason we miss it is because as Nowen says, the problem with our modern world is we're too busy to notice we're being blessed. And I would add to that, we are too busy to actually bless. We're too busy to receive blessing and we're too busy to offer blessing. We're too distracted. And so if the Lord's table is to shape our tables the way we come to the table must be different. Which might mean when we come to the tables that we might have to leave our phones in another room. 
Amen. I, I just, uh, I, I feel the spirit of resistance. The, the, I, the evil one has a grip on us. Deliver, we need deliverance ministry at the end of the service. Which phone, Rich? You know, that phone. When we come to the table, we come to offer our presence. The reality is we have been uh, infiltrated and our lives have been formed by a drive through spirituality in which there's no time to be. There's no time to see. There's no time to be present. There's no time to offer words of blessing. We're eating on the run, but the Lord's table is to shape our table. Remind us that we are taken. Remind us that we are blessed. And then Jesus, he takes the bread, he blesses the bread, and the third word is he breaks the bread. Broken. This is the hardest of all of them. Because we want to be taken, we want to be blessed, but no one wants to be broken. But the fact is, we're all broken. Brokenness comes by simply living. You live a little while, you, you encounter broken places, disappointments and betrayals and pain and sadness and grief. But not only are we just broken by living life, we're broken in some mysterious way by God. That in the same way he takes the bread, God lovingly breaks us and he breaks us in such a way so that we could align our wills to his. Align our kingdoms to his, align our life to his in such a way that we would be able to say like Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That person who can pray that prayer is someone who's been broken. To say, your will be done, your kingdom come. And yet most of us live our lives resisting this kind of breaking. And yet this is the way paradoxically to our healing and our wholeness. This is why Hosea can say in chapter 6, it doesn't make sense to the dualistic mind that can only see black and white. He says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. If we're honest with ourselves, some of the greatest revelations that we've gotten from God has come in our moments of brokenness, in our moments of great need, in our moments of pain. This is the mystery of faith that we get fresh revelation based on difficult situations. That you experience need, and because you experience need and lack, all of a sudden you find God is your provider. You experience sickness and you realize God is my healer. That there's fresh revelation that comes because of our broken situations. And the reality is that God cannot give uh, bread to the world that has not been broken. And so what does it mean that when setbacks come, when difficulties come, when life doesn't unfold the way that I want it to go, what does it mean to stick with God, to stay with him? Even when all of us want to run, Jesus takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and then lastly, he gives the bread. 
The simplicity of this message is beautiful. Yesterday I was having dinner with my family and I said to Karis, Karis, um, let me tell you what my sermon is going to be about tomorrow. And she said, oh, God, okay. <laughs> and I said, it'll be quick. And she's like, please, you know. And so I was looking for bread. We didn't have bread, so I grabbed a piece of chicken. I said, this will have to do. And I said, Karis, this is your life. You're this piece of chicken. She was not happy about that to start with. You know, just, you're this piece of chicken. And I said, Jesus takes you. He loves you. He blesses you. He speaks good words over you. He might have to break you from time to time. But he gives you as well. And at the end of that, we did a little song. Taken, blessed, broken, given. Taken, blessed, broken, given. Taken. She started doing a beat and everything. Taken, blessed, broken. Nathan's doing the wave on this side. He's doing the wave. Taken. <laughs> and I realized in the simplicity of these four words, we have the profound truths of Christianity. Jesus takes you, he blesses you, he breaks you, and he gives you. He gives you so that you would be a gift to the world. He gives you so that you can let others know you are taken. He gives you so that you can let others know you're blessed. He gives you so that you can let others know God might break you. He gives you so that you can let others know that God has, has gifted you and he's sending you to the world. What if our tables reflected this reality? What if every time we gather together with friends, family, coworkers, colleagues, students, when we gather together at our tables, we speak words of blessing over people, even to people we disagree with, even to people that have a vote? What if the kingdom of God came through tables? The Lord's table, this is not just for our own personal, privatized experience with God, this is to shape our tables every day. When we look at people, we say, you're taken, you're blessed, you're broken, you are given. This is to shape our tables. I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago. Every um, month or so, I meet with different pastors in our city. And as I was sharing a meal with these folks, I realized these four words were permeating our table. I realized that the, the sheer fact that we shared a meal together, we were saying to each other, we are mutually choosing each other here to have this experience. And we, we're, we, we are present with one another. And throughout the course of the meal, we started sharing words of blessing. It wasn't like, okay, this is the part where we bless each other. It wasn't like that kind of formal. All right, who has blessing? It, was, it, just, it just flowed. And then what was interesting as we got to the place of brokenness. And I realized I, I started sharing a little bit of myself and some vulnerability and some brokenness, and I, seen, I sent some resistance at the table. Because many pastors, and this is something that I experience over and over and over again, many pastors are very guarded. And I'm, I, I'm not going to share that much of my life. And as I begin to share just my own brokenness and my own vulnerability, it was almost as if well, I can see walls start coming down. I thought, what if our tables were characterized by brokenness and vulnerability? Not by competition. Not by proving oneself. What if our tables 
were characterized by brokenness and vulnerabilities, that we can share what we struggle with, that we can share how life has been difficult, that we can share how God has been coming to us. What if our tables were shaped around these four words, taken, blessed, broken, given? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that the kingdom of God comes in these four words. And so our Savior Jesus gives us these words, you're taken, you're blessed, you're broken and given. The world has its own table. And the reality is many of us sit at the world's table and we allow the words of the world's table to fill us. And the four words of the world's table is this, rejected, cursed, beyond repair. And many of us have eaten at this table. We've allowed ourselves to experience self-rejection, to live as if we are cursed by God, to believe that there's no hope for my life. And yet we come to gather together to be reminded that this is a lie, that you're taken, blessed, broken, given. How in the world can we make progress with racial reconciliation when we're not sitting at the table? How can we make progress and reconciliation across political lines? How can we make progress around people from different socioeconomic realities? I'll tell you how when we start going, getting to the table with them and echoing these words, taken, blessed, broken. Given. Let me end with this. When we come and take the bread, we are reminded that in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the convergence of two realities. He's the convergence of what I said earlier on. There were two things that, that identified the kingdom of God. It was supernatural miracles and it was simple meals. Jesus Christ is the convergence of these two realities where Jesus Christ in his body and in his blood becomes a supernatural meal that we all eat from and find life. Jesus is the supernatural meal. And this is why he says words like this in John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. The deepest longings of your soul is found in Jesus Christ, found at this table. And after being satisfied by this meal and by this table, we are to go out into the world and demonstrate what this table looks like. But he is the supernatural meal. And until we eat and drink of him, we will live an existence fractured, unreconciled, lifeless. But when we take this bread and dip it in the cup and know that you are taken, blessed, broken, given, It'll transform us and transform our tables. Amen. Let me invite you to close your eyes. We're going to take, we're going to come to the table together. I want to invite those who are going to be offering bread in the cup to come. Before we do that, I want to give you a moment to confess your sin and repent before God. Because the truth is, many of us, we need to repent from 
Lord, we have sat at these tables, different tables. Lord, we have participated in the words of these tables. Forgive, forgive us of our sin. Make us new. And so right where you are, just offer your own confession before God, and then we'll pray a prayer of confession together. But maybe you've been eating at the wrong table this week. Jesus invites you to his table. Let's offer our own confession before God. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's pray this confession of faith together. And as we do, we are reminded that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That we don't repent to get God's kindness. We receive this kindness, therefore we repent. There's a big difference. So let's confess and repent of our sins before God. Let's pray this prayer together. Almighty God. Our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own fault, in thought, in word, in deed. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life. To the glory of your name. Amen. Jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so together as the people of God, as the family of God, let's take together. the prayer team to come to my left the Lord's table you know the phrase you are what you eat this is to we are to live that reality you are what you eat and by taking that simple piece of bread we are saying that the Christian life is one that's embodied it's one that's lived practically in the world and so I want to give us um the last thing that I want to happen is you come, you hear, listen to a sermon, you, you worship, you take the bread, you go, that was wonderful. And then there's nothing that changes 
throughout the course of the week. And so I wanted to give some very simple next steps. What does it mean to live what we just heard? And so number one, for some of you today, maybe it's just joining a community, a small group. A new life, we don't have a midweek service, as it were, because people, we are inviting people to meet at tables, in living rooms, and at coffee shops, to get to know each other, to, to let them know you're taken, you're blessed, you're broken, you're given. And so if, you, if you're not part of a group, next week we're going to have uh, some new small groups that are launching, so you can just check that out. And maybe God is moving you to start a group, to meet with people, to echo these words. We have the men's breakfast, emotionally healthy spirituality court. These are different ways that you can connect. The second is to, that you serve, that we, the Lord's table is to shape our tables. And as I've heard it said, we are also to, as it were, uh, fashion a table, create a table for others that we serve. And to be part of this community means that we serve. We serve one another. And there are many ways you can serve. I mentioned earlier being a small group leader in our nine o'clock service, working with our community development corporation. But if you are not embodied, if you're not actually participating in the life of this community, um, we're missing something vibrant to our spiritual life. And so would you consider this week, what does it look like to serve in this community? And then lastly is this, that you would be mindful this week to bless someone, especially at the table. Whether it's a coffee table or whether it's you're at a Starbucks and you're meeting with someone or whatever it is, that you would take the time to put your phone down. You would take the time to turn it off or whatever it is and look across the table and speak good words. For some of us, like, I don't want to do that. I like it. But this is what it means to live in the kingdom of God. We don't just think good words at people. That does nothing. I've been thinking good words about you. You know, no, that does nothing. We need to hear it. And so if that means you need to write something down and share it, well, may our tables be filled with blessing and not cursing. May we live this reality of the kingdom of God. And so as we leave here, let me bless you all. I mean, we end every gathering with a word of blessing because you cannot give what you have not received. And so let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We have our prayer team to my left. Maybe you need someone to remind you today that you are in the hands of God. Maybe you have not said yes to being taken by Jesus. Jesus says, I choose you, but you have to respond. And maybe today you're sensing, I need to follow Jesus. I want to say yes to his call. Our prayer team would love to pray with you for whatever need you have. You can come forward. But with your hands and your hearts and the posture of receiving brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and may he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing this day and this week that you've been taken by God, blessed by God, sometimes broken by God and ultimately given by God. May those four words transform your life and transform the tables that you meet at this week. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen.